morning. This morning's uh, Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, the whole lot, so bear with me. God's people comforted. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, sorry, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough plains a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem. Herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it, do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those who are nursing. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with a span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him the knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust in the sails. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel, or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. 
He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say? And Israel, why do you assert? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my claim is ignored by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Here ends the reading. Uh, just by the way, as a bit of a heads up, uh, you might have questions after I, uh, we look at Isaiah chapter 40, and if there's time, which I can't really guarantee, um, uh, depends how much I stick to my notes or not, uh, then I'm very happy to have a crack at answering uh, your questions. We continue a little mini-series leading up to Christmas. Uh, sorry to be a bit Anglican here, we've had a, something about holy orders, but this period of time in the Anglican church is called Advent. And that just means, uh, well, what does it mean? Yeah, coming up, leading up to uh, the time of Christmas and leading up to the time where Jesus the King is coming. And it's also a period of time in the church year that, we, that uh, is tried to be done uh, where we think about Christ's second coming back into this world to restore all things. And Isaiah chapter 40 uh, asks this question... Uh, or speaks about this subject of comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. So can I ask right up front, no hands, no questions to be answered here, but where do you find your comfort? Where do you look in your life, in your week, for real comfort? Uh, for many people, it could be like relationships. That gives comfort. For many people, it could be comfort food. Um, you can tell I'm one of those fans. Uh, it could be uh, a holiday. It could be something to do with you know, having a bit of a rest, getting away from it all. And I think, as I reflected on this, our world nowadays has got such a great emphasis on comfort because it drives us, we're driven, I should say, to seek that which we want for ourselves, to find some sort of satisfaction uh, some sort of peace, some sort of deeper meaning 
that, that, we, uh, that, that the world is looking for. So the idea of comfort, I reckon, is a, is a really helpful one. And it's emphasised twice here uh, to, to underscore the significance of what God is promising. It's like a parent that says to a child, it's okay, as they cuddle him, it's okay, it's okay. They're repeating that just sort of for emphasis. And the people of God here in Isaiah really, really did need to understand and to receive the comfort of God. Uh, we haven't been reading through Isaiah, but if we had, uh, although Matt mentioned this last week, the people of God were in darkness. The people of God had rebelled against God. The people of God had forgotten God. Uh, in the early chapter of Isaiah, it says, you know, Isaiah says to the people of God, you know, even the donkey understands its master's voice, but you have no idea of the voice of God. That's how much they'd forgotten God. That's how much they'd walked away from God. And the God's judgment was rightly going to come upon them because how they've treated him is not how he's deserved to be treated. And judgment had come upon them, and judgment was about to come upon the nation of Israel. They would soon be taken off into captivity, the southern nation of Israel, into Babylon. And they would be judged, they would be taken away, they would be removed from God's presence, they'd be removed from God's, God's temple, they would be removed into exile. And they would need this word, this word of comfort to them. A word of comfort, a word of promise from God. Comfort, comfort my people. That's what Isaiah was to say to these words. And the word of comfort does not come through a bottle or pills or time out. The word of comfort comes from the voice of the Lord. His word, a word of promise. A word which they could trust in as they looked into the future. And so we'll see from these verses that real comfort comes firstly when sin is pardoned, relationship restored. Real comfort comes when God visits to rescue and real comfort comes when all other things are cast aside and we trust in God's word, power, tenderness and strength alone. Comfort my people. Firstly, real comfort comes when sin is pardoned, relationship restored. And we see these, uh, this in verses 1 to 3. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. This is a tender word, isn't it? It's a word that's surprising in a way because they were under the, or going to be and still under the judgment of God. But there's a tender word through that judgment. They will be taken off into captivity and they would suffer. And when they were totally spent, when they were totally shattered, God would come again and bring them out of that despair. The Babylonians would take them off into captivity, but then he would use Cyrus, the king of Persia, who defeated the Babylonians, to bring them back into their land, back so that they could worship God, back into relationship with God, although it never was quite the same. And so they still waited for that comfort. 
The words used here in Isaiah 40 tell us that Israel's, her service is over, her sin has been paid for, pardoned, and she's received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. Uh, the idea of double is not that like God got really, really, really cranky and sort of punished them twice as much as they deserved, but no, it's a word that's used, repeated again, to emphasise the significance of the pardon, that it was fully paid for. There was nothing left to pay for. Their sin had been paid for. And that was to be the source of comfort for them. The payment for sins in exile, their sins in exile, was a payment of sorts. But actually, it wasn't the total and real payment at the end of the day. It was like God allowed their payment of their sins to be paid a bit like what we use our credit card for. Do you know the credit card is a payment of sorts, isn't it? You go into the shop, you take your goods, you get to the checkout, you hand the card over, it's paid for. So you might think. Uh, like uh, blokes particularly, I don't know what you're like in your family, my wife handles all the credit cards, all the banking, all of the finances. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, but I've come to understand that actually when you get to the checkout and you pan the card up, that's not really paying. It is paying, but it's not really paying because at the end of the month, guess what? There's a bill that either comes in the email or in the snail mail and you've got to pay that bill. The payment is a payment of sorts. But it's looking forward to, and it's dependent upon, a payment that will be made in the future that will cover that debt totally. Do you understand the illustration? And this is, in a sense, what the, the payment of, of Israel's sins, of Judah's sins, in Babylon was like. It was a payment of sorts, a little bit like the credit card. But the payment fell due when Jesus Christ came and who suffered and who died for our sins and their sins. And Isaiah will unpack this later on in Isaiah chapter 53, where he tells us we are like sheep that have gone astray. We've done our own thing. We've gone our own way. But God laid on his suffering servant all of our sin, all of our iniquity, so that we wouldn't have to suffer it. It's a payment, payment made on the cross where Jesus took our sin, the double for our sin, let's call it. There's nothing left to pay his life for ours. And it is a tender word, a tender word of comfort that sin is pardoned and we can have peace and true comfort. All of the things that we think we need release from or comfort for in this life are things that the brokenness of our world has brought in. It's the things that sin has brought in. What do we need release from? What do we need comfort for? Well, we need comfort for our suffering, for our pains, for our relationship breakdowns. We need comfort for, for our tiredness, for our weariness. 
That's what we think we need comfort for. And all of those things are a result of the brokenness of our world because humanity has turned our back on God who is peace, God who is joy, God who is strength, God who is wisdom. Guess where we end up when we turn our back on God who is all of those things? We end up in that. So we think, well, we need comfort because we're in a broken world. God brings true comfort in his son, in Jesus providing the double for our sins. That's where true comfort is found. Real comfort comes when sin is pardoned, relationship is restored. And real comfort comes when God visits to rescue his glory revealed. And we see this in verses 3 to 5. God not only will forgive their sins through the exile, but... He will bring them home. It's not like you're off into exile, oh, you're forgiven now. No, God acts in great and mighty power to bring them out of exile back to their home. Back to the land of Judah, where he was, where they could worship him. And in doing so, he reveals his salvation Not just to forgive, but to bring them home. His mighty arm, outstretched arm and mighty hand brought them, yes, out of Egypt to the place where he promised, but he'll do it again out of Babylon, Persia, back to their land. And all of his glory will be seen by the then world. There will be a highway, every valley will be lifted up, every mountain will be made low, the rough ground levelled, the rugged places made plain. No obstacle will get in God's way for his rescue of his people to bring them back to his place under his loving rule, care and blessing. He will do it and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. All mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. True comfort comes when there is a personal intervention, a supernatural visitation of God to rescue his people and to take them home. Yes, the people will be in exile in Babylon facing the judgment of God, but beyond that, through that, God's people will be freed from that captivity. A majestic rescue, and all the world saw it. And yet, the real rescue was not to be fully and finally experienced by them as they returned to the land of Israel. Even after they returned from the exile back into Judah where you know, the temple was, Jerusalem is there, they, they didn't receive the full comfort. They tried to rebuild that. They did rebuild the temple, but it wasn't not like the glory and splendour of the old temple. And so for centuries thereafter, they waited again for God to come to bring pardon and to bring full deliverance. In a sense, they were still under exile, even though they were back in their land. And they were still waiting for, longing for, 
their comfort to really come. And we see this uh, certainly very clearly in Simeon who is in the temple just before and uh, just after Jesus was born. He was there waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort, the real true comfort of Israel. And he saw baby Jesus and he took baby Jesus in his arms and he says, now I can die in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation, the salvation of God. And Jesus comes to bring the pardon that we need, to crush Satan, to deal with sin and condemnation, to smash death and bring life and immortality to light and to give us his spirit, to renew us, to make us his children. And ultimately, he will deliver us from the brokenness of this world and he will bring us home to be with him. And that's the promise of Jesus. He goes away to prepare a place for us. He does so by dying on the cross so that we could be forgiven and we can be right with God. And one day he's going to come back. At a time we will not know. We do not know. And he will restore all things. Those who have died in Jesus will be raised from the dead. We who are alive at that time will be caught up together and meet them in the clouds. And so we will be forever with the Lord. It is God bringing us home. The fullness of our rescue is yet to be seen and, and known forever for us. For we await that day. He will bring us home. I can't remember if I've told you about my Uncle Colin. What a lovely name. Um, uh, and uh, he was, uh, some years back, he was in hospital uh, dying from cancer. And uh, the nurse one day came round and uh, said to him, uh, asked him how he was going, and he said, oh, you know, I'm going home. And she said, you can't go home. She was like, that awkward... Sort of like, you know, you're not well, you're, you're dying, you know. You, you, she sort of didn't know what to say. No, you, you can't go home. Uh, you're not well enough to go home. He said to her, I am going home. And then he told her about Jesus and the hope that he had. Home. Home. Is this your hope? Or are you getting caught up in the things of this world so much that the real hope, the real comfort, the real rescue has lost its tarnish? Because not only does real hope come when sin is pardoned, not only does real hope comfort come, I should say, when when God intervenes to bring us home. But real comfort comes when we cast off and cast aside all other things that, that we might think will bring us comfort. And this is in verses uh, 6 to 31. 
My apologies for being slow on the, uh, the slides there. My error. I should look at my notes a bit more. Real comfort comes when we trust in the Lord alone. All other comforts come cast aside. It seems here in these verses, there's a lot of verses. I'm not going to spend much time on them. But it seems to me that verses 6 following are written to address a problem that we all too easily have. And that is a big view of ourselves and a small view of God. Isaiah is told to cry out, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, which spring up, look pretty good for a while, and then fail, fall. In contrast to our frailty and our temporary nature, the word of the Lord stands forever. And the nation of Israel and us too will be tempted to trust ourselves, to look to ourselves to, to provide the comfort that we need and to sort of figure it, try and figure it out ourselves, but it won't last. The Lord alone is able to deliver his people with power and a mighty arm, uh, in contrast to our supposed strength. And notice there in uh, verse 11 how he is like a tender shepherd that gathers his lambs under his arms and carries them close to his heart and he gently leads them. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of tenderness again of God who is almighty in his power who is infinite in his power but intimate in his care if we need to grab a hold of this there is a loving caring warmth but God is the awesome incomparable God God will save he will pardon because he cares. And he can save and he can pardon because he's powerful. This is our God. Tender, powerful. And that's why it's such good news, verse 9, that he comes. That's why there's a great proclamation. Tell all the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold your God as the old version used to say, that says, Behold your God. Surely this is a, a personal, <laughs> as we consider this, it's a personal opportunity for us, as we think about uh, where we are in our community, to proclaim Jesus, his coming, and he's coming again. It's good news. Why should we trust him? Why should we trust the Lord? Questions are asked. Well, who created the universe? Answer, well, God did. Who instructed God? Who advised him in the process of creating the universe? No one. Who can compare to him in all of creation? No one. Nothing. That's why we trust him. He's the one who has 
infinite power. He's the one who has the waters of the world in the palm of his hands. He's the one whose width of his hand has marked out the heavens. Like, we can't get our minds around the greatness and the grandeur of God, and yet he is like a tender shepherd who cradles us close to his chest. Behold your God. Look, here is our God. No one can compare. He can't compare to the so-called strength of humanity, which comes and goes, even the kings and the, and the big people of this world, even the celebrities, come and go. No, there's, we can't compare ourselves to him, and we are certainly not to compare the gods of this earth. The gods of this earth, verses 18 to 20. The gods of this earth, either a metal worker casts it and overlays it with gold and so on, or if a person is too poor to get a metal worker to make uh, for him a, an, an, an idol, he, he'll go out and get a block of wood that sort of won't rot, and then he asks some sort of craftsman to, to make something, oh, and of course so that it won't topple over. That's just a lovely little sort of image there. And by the way, in the next chapter of Isaiah, he, he goes on to talk about idols a bit more. But uh, I was reminded of, uh, I, I had a guy that uh, lived a few doors away from, from me many years ago. Uh, and he was a clairvoyant. Um, uh, and people used to come all the time to get ideas from him and so on. And he would have, he had lots of uh, light white flowers uh, to attract positive energy into the house and so on. And he had angels and go, like uh, protective little angels around and, and other idols and so on. And uh, one of the, <laughs> one day I was walking down the street and um, uh, the wind had been blowing and he had some, some of these sort of protective angels, porcelain things on his uh, window ledge and one of them had fallen off. Uh, onto the ground and he was there with a dustpan and brush uh, sweeping it up and I went over to him and had a chat with him and he, and he was like, you know, he was, this is, this is, his, this is his protector, you know, on, on the ground in bits and uh, it just sort of struck me, you know, the, it, it had neither the sense to realise that the wind was coming, uh, it couldn't sort of shuffle itself back on, on top of the ledge away from the edge to, because it, it might not have fallen off then. And it certainly didn't have the brains in the mouth to say, hey, why don't you just stick a bit of blue tack under my backside so I don't fall off this thing. It just couldn't do it. The poor little guardian angel. And Isaiah is having a crack at them here. So we can laugh, yeah, look. Yeah, that's the, the absurdity of God who actually made the designer, the God who created the earth with the trees and the wood, the God who put the gold in there in the earth and the God who, who, who gave the creative genius to the people who carve things out. He's the God who made everything and yet, and yet, no, no, we would much rather push him back and go, wow, look at that bit of wood. It's not going to fall over. We would much rather give our lives to that. And Isaiah is saying, true comfort comes when we cast aside all the gods of this earth, be they blocks of wood or golden whatever's casts things or the money or the holiday house or the superannuation that we lift up high and think, this is going to save me. This is going to give me real comfort. Real comfort comes when we see them for as they are. 
temporary, not lasting. They will be one day shaken and gone. And true comfort comes when we trust in the Lord and in him alone. And I need your encouragement to do that. Because my heart is so bent on trusting other gods to think I will find comfort in these other things. So I need your encouragement to keep trusting in the Lord in all things. And maybe you need the encouragement of others to do so. Their problem was that they'd pushed God back so far that they were tempted to, verse 27, to complain that their way was hidden from God because he has disregarded my cause. God doesn't understand me anymore. God doesn't know my way. God hasn't come to help me. They pushed them away. So the word here is, well, don't complain. And there's a beautiful word in verse 28 that though we might grow weary of God as they had done, he does not grow weary of us. <laughs> it's just amazing. When you think of how they and we, me, have treated God, that in tenderness he has come with a word of promise, in tenderness and power he has come to save and rescue and pardon and to bring me into his presence even now and one day fully and firmly into the new creation. It's, it's just astounding that God's mercy would extend to such a sinner as me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never grows tired or weary. And he gives power to the weak and strengthens those who put their trust in him and who wait for him. And so as they waited and as they trusted and as they rested in the promises of God through the judgment, through the exile, so they were given God's strength. And so, brothers and sisters, are we to hope, trust, wait for the salvation of God to be fully seen, realised, understood and eternally enjoyed? in the return of his son, King Jesus, to restore all, the, all things. He will raise our bodies for those who've died to him and bring us into the new creation, the home of righteousness. Evil and sin will be done away with on that day. Problems, pain, anxieties, illness, death will be done away with on that day. And so will we forever be with the Lord. And as we wait, even though outwardly we might be wasting away, we will be inwardly strengthened and renewed. And one day, beyond the place even where youths grow tired and weary, 
in the new creation, well, what a picture of unbounded energy and vitality is here. <coughs> Soaring. As like an eagle. I've been uh, visiting a 3pm lady uh, in recent uh, months and uh, her name's June Sargent. Lovely. She loves the Lord. But she's dying. And... Uh, just been such an encouragement to see her smiling through the frailty to go yeah I love Jesus and I can't wait to be home those of you who know her would have been so encouraged by her as well uh, on Friday um, I got a call from a, a lady here that said she'd taken a turn for the worse and I went in and saw her and uh, I read some scriptures and I prayed with her she wasn't responding except when I read, read Psalm 23 her lips started to move and off she went talking Psalm 23 the Lord is my ship, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Wow, praise God. I said the Lord's Prayer, one of the prayers. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Had no idea whether she'd respond halfway through. She came, she came alive again. Just such an encouragement. And one day soon... She will be more alive than she's ever been because the Lord will take her home. Is that your hope? Real comfort comes when sin is pardoned. Real comfort comes when God intervenes to rescue and to bring us home. And real comfort comes when we cast aside all other things that we might be tempted to look to and trust God's word, God's power, God's tenderness and God's strength. So ends Isaiah 40. Let me pray. Scriptures say, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away heavenly father thank you for your pardon the pardon for our sin 
Thank you for the peace that endures, for the comfort for our fears, for the rescue for our lostness, for your word in our confusion, for your strength in our weakness, and your home that you have prepared where we will be fully and finally and eternally renewed forever with you. Amen.